bless the kids as they go study. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, Lord, we are thankful for your word, and we ask, Lord, for your spirit to enlighten our minds as we study your word, that you would speak to us and that we would understand you, that you'd give us your spiritual discernment. And I ask that you would use my mouth and my lips for your honor and glory, that your words would come forth, and that I would not be seen, but only you would be heard and seen and glorified. In Yeshua's name, amen. Our topic today from 2 Kings chapter 5, Naaman and Gehazi. We'll do a little recap. We've read a little bit of this chapter 5 already. Um, Naaman was a commander in, of the army in Syria and uh, came down with leprosy. In one of their raids uh, into Israel, they had taken a young little girl uh, captive, uh, no doubt among many, but, uh, but this one in particular, became a, uh, a slave in Naaman's house, serving his wife. And she believed in the Lord, believed faithfully in the Lord, believed in the power of God, the power of God's, uh, the, the power that God was able to give to, uh, to his prophet Elijah. And she no doubt had heard of the miracles that God had performed through Elijah. And so she tells her, uh, her mistress about Elijah, and she says, boy, if if my master, Naaman, would just go to Israel, God would be able to heal him there. And uh, Naaman believes this, and he goes to his commander, gets permission, or the king gets permission to go to Israel. He goes to Israel. He goes to the king of Israel, who rips his garments. What am I, a god? Why do you come to me? You're trying to pick a fight. How can I heal you of your leprosy? And, uh, and Elijah hears about this uh, and sends a message to, uh, to, to tell Naaman to come to him. So Naaman then goes to Elisha, and Elijah doesn't even come out of the house to see him. He sends Gehazi out, and uh, Gehazi tells him that the prophet said, go to the Jordan River and immerse yourself seven times, and you will be healed of your leprosy. Naaman thinks that's, uh, that's crazy and a uh, waste of time, and he's all upset and angry, and Elisha wouldn't even come out and see him and, uh, and asks him to do this silly thing. And, uh, and so he's ready to go home, but, uh, but his servants encourage him to just do it. It's a simple thing. Why don't you just do it? Came all this way. Let's just do it and, uh, and see what happens. So he humbles himself. He goes down to the Jordan River, and he uh, goes into the water, and he immerses himself seven times. Nothing happens for six times. And on the seventh time, he comes up, and the leprosy is gone, and he is healed. And he immediately is praising God and thanking God, and in a demonstration of that thankfulness, he comes back to Elijah, and in verse 15, still 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 15, it says, He and all his aides returned to the man of God and stood before him, saying, Indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. So very powerful, very powerful experience that, uh, that Naaman has. Uh, so much so that he goes and wants to go see the man of God. And this time, obviously, Elijah comes out and sees him. Because uh, it says he, he stood before him. Right? And so they met face to face for the first time. And, uh, and he's thankful. And Yeshua tells, well, not tells a parable or a story. An actual event took place. Yeshua healed uh, ten lepers one time. And told them to go then to the temple and offer the proper sacrifice. And uh, only one out of the ten come back to thank him. 
And so here we see Naaman coming back and thanking Elijah. So a demonstration of belief, a demonstration of appreciation, of trust in God. And then his testimony, now I know there is no God except in all the earth except in Israel. He doesn't just say the God of Israel is mightier than any other God. But that there is no God except in Israel, the God of Israel. And so that's a powerful, powerful statement. That's a radical, radical statement. He is grasping the concept of monotheism right from, you know, with his first experience, from this being taught from this young little girl who God's providence has come into his home. And the miracle of this, this girl, you know, we talked about last time, she easily could have been upset at God and, and the Syrians and everyone for killing her family and, and coming and raiding her home and her town. But she trusted in God, and God used her under these difficult circumstances. And the power that it has over this man, Naaman, mighty man, commander of the army, and uh, humbles himself and submits to the immersion in the Jordan River, comes up healed, and then acknowledges God. And so thankful, so thankful he comes and uh, wants to see Elijah himself, and acknowledge it, and acknowledges the power of the God, the only God, the Lord God. Now again, that wasn't popular in that day, to acknowledge a God, a single God, the only God. And it's interesting, today it's become uh, very unpopular again. <laughs> it's taken a while, but uh, you know, history repeats itself, and even here in America, uh, there are lots of people now are starting to believe, well, there are many ways to heaven, there are many gods, there are many different ways, and uh, we can all just coexist together and everything, and everybody's got some truth, and everybody's good, and everybody's okay. But Naaman said, no, there is no other God. There is no other God. Except the God in Israel, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one that pulled us out of Egypt, the one who delivered us, the one who set the stars in the heavens, the one who created us, the one who loves us, the one who gave us the plan, the one who told us how to live, the one who has paid the price for us, has sent his son, sent the Messiah, sent the sacrifice, provided the lamb, provided the entire sanctuary service so that we would know what the Messiah would be like and what his role would be. The God, the God of the universe. There is no God not only in all the earth, there is no other God in all the universe except the true God. And if Naaman can see that, why can't we today? Under the circumstances and on the little knowledge that he had, did he have the Torah to see? Did he have the, the, the Tanakh? Did he have the rest of the scriptures? Did he have the holy scriptures that we have today? Did he have the list of miracles that have been displayed before us? No. And yet he had that faith to believe. And no doubt from experience. He had tried lots of other things. And he saw this worked. And this worked for him. The mighty God humbles himself in this way and comes and gives thanks. And then he takes it a step further and he says, please take a gift from your servant. So he's continuing in this humble position not only going down to the Jordan, disrobing, entering into the water, bowing down, 
Humility, 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 humbled himself in the sight of the Lord, and God is able to lift him up. He continues that, please accept this gift from your servant. But Elijah says, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. And Naaman urged him to take it, but Elijah still refused. Now, would it be wrong for Elijah to receive a gift? No, it's not wrong. The Bible even says this, right? That, uh, that the Levites were to, to, uh, to receive funds from the rest of the people. And, and Paul talks a, about a, uh, a workman worthy of his hire, right? You don't uh, uh, not feed your, your, your ox as he's plowing the field for you, right? And so, no, it would not be wrong for Elijah in most circumstances to, to receive a, a, a gift, uh, but God impresses him, obviously, not to receive it at this time. For whatever reason, it could be misunderstood. Naaman could then end up, in his mind, uh, taking the, the honor that belongs to God and giving it to Elijah, in his mind thinking that Elijah did some magical thing. But he wants the glory only to go to God. He doesn't want... Naaman to get the wrong impression that God did the miracle for him so that God would get paid or that his servant would get paid. That's not why God does things for us. That's not why God has given us life. God doesn't need our money. God has us return back to him as a demonstration of, of humility, a demonstration of trust, a demonstration of faith. One of the ways that we can see the power of God and when we give back to him as he has outlined in his word that we can see him work, that that, uh, that the rest of it stretches further. There's many reasons why he tells us to give, but none of the reasons are so that God will do miracles in our lives. So that God will love us more. And so Elijah doesn't want Naaman to get the wrong impression of this God. Because no doubt all the other gods that Naaman has seen had to be appeased with some offering. That you had to earn their love, that you had to earn their favor. That you had to pay them off. And Elijah wants to, uh, Naaman to see that this is, that the God of the universe is overall, and he does not need us, he loves us. And he wants us. And he wants us to want him. And that he knows what's best for us. And he gives us laws and decrees for our benefit, not for his benefit. Not to fulfill his ego. So it's a totally different God, totally different than our human mindset thinks of when we create things on our own or how we uh, even create our own little systems, whether our governments or whether our businesses uh, or self is involved. God, it's not about God in God's love for us. God is thinking of us. God cares for us. God loves us. God's not in, in it for selfish motives. God didn't create humanity so that he'd have someone to love him. But he loves to give love. It's part of his nature. It's part of his character. And so he loves to do good. And again, everything he asks us to do is not so that we're helping him, but it's because those things are good for us. Kind of like a, you know, if you, had a, you hired an a, uh, exercise coach, and uh, you know, he's not... He's not asking you to do all these exercises, you know, for his benefit. He's telling you to do them for your benefit, right? And so God tells us these things for our benefit, not for his benefit. So he doesn't want Naaman to get the wrong idea by receiving uh, this gift. 
and maybe other reasons as well. So he, he says, no, no, he refuses it. The honor only goes to God in this, this, this case. Always, honor should only go to God. But he wants to make it very clear and very plain to Naaman from where Naaman is at. So as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. Naaman needs to see that God's able to provide for Elijah's need even without Naaman. The free gift that God gives to us. This is a free gift that he's giving to Naaman. The healing. And all that God gives to us are free gifts. We can't earn anything. We shouldn't try to earn anything. God's forgiveness is freely given to us. God's grace is freely given to us. God's love is freely given to us. Life is freely given to us. Now, does that mean that we shouldn't appreciate it? Does that mean that we should then just not care? Does that mean since he's given us life that we should just live a lifestyle that destroys our health? No. No, but we don't live healthy lives or we don't follow God's word in order to gain the gift that God has given to us. We do it again because God said so, benefits us, benefits his work. It's what is best. And that's what God knows. So it's a trust in him. It's not an earning. Even when the actions are done after the fact. The actions are done after the fact. The works, as the Bible calls it, is done not to gain faith, not to gain favor, but because we have God's favor. And out of appreciation. And God filling us with his spirit. God's nature taking over our minds and our lives. And thus we begin acting as he does. And how does God act? With giving, with acting, with loving, with doing. And so when God's filling us, then we do the same things. Again, not to earn his love, but because that's what God does. And if he's living through us, then that's what will come out of us. The same type of character. And that's what, Elijah, that's what Naaman needs to see. The type of God that God is. Since he's acknowledged he is the only God, then he needs to get the right picture of God. And today, many people don't have the right picture of God. Even many people who are reading the Bible don't have the right picture of God. And they've got a distorted picture in their mind of God. And so Naaman said, if not, if you're not going to take the gift, then please let your servant be given two mule loads of earth, for your servant will no longer offer either burnt offering or sacrifice to other gods, but to the Lord. That is powerful. He wants some of the dirt from Israel to take with him, two mule loads to take with him. So that he is not, when he prays, he wants to be praying over the land of Israel. He doesn't even want to be praying over this dirt up there that's been defiled with all these idols. He wants a little sacred spot. It's good for us to have sacred spots. It's good to have a place in your home where it's a place of prayer, a chair, or, or you know, a place where you kneel down, or a pillow that you kneel on, or some place where you read your Bible. It's good to have a, a sanctuary in your home. I know a lady, she, she uh, was renting a, a two-bedroom apartment. She was a single lady, uh, had no children, never been married. But she rented a two-bedroom home because she wanted a prayer room. And she had it. She had it set up. That was her prayer room. She had her Bible in there, and she had her mat in there. And that was where she, she, uh, she prayed. And I don't necessarily think everyone has to do that. But, uh, but it's good to have a, a sanctuary in our home. And that's what he's doing here. 
or a place, maybe outside, maybe a park, or maybe in your backyard, where you go and have quiet time with God. And that's what he wanted. He wanted a sanctified spot that reminded him of this experience. Two whole mule loads of dirt, because I'm not going to worship any other God. He's serious about this. Not just thankful for the healing, not just a, a verbal acknowledgement, but we see now actions taking place already in his mind that he's wanting to demonstrate in his life because the change is already taking place. He's gone down in the water, his old nature has died, and the new nature is coming forth to live for God. Not just believe. Believe needs to be acted upon. True belief will be acted upon. And his demonstration, his, his verbal commitment, his, that's Great, he's acknowledged with his mouth, and now he's starting to act it out in his life. Wanting to worship the only true God. That's verse 17. Then verse 18 he says, And yet in this thing may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master goes into the temple of Ramon to worship, and he leans on my hand, and when I bow down in the temple of Ramon, may the Lord please pardon your servant in this thing. So he's already thinking ahead. He's thinking, this is, this is serious. I'm committing myself to the true God, and, and, and this is going to affect my life. It's going to affect my home. It's going to affect how I live. It's going to, I want a backyard spot. That it's going to affect everything I do. It's going to affect my job as well. It's going to affect my interaction with my boss. And that's how it should be. Our walk with God should affect every aspect of our life, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Everything we do, whether we're shopping or eating or going to school or, or working or whatever we're doing, God needs to have an impact on that. And the decisions we make and the reasons we do things need to be in harmony with God's word. And he realizes that. He's thinking ahead. When I go back home, um, the king is going to want me. I'm his second in command. He's going to want me to go into the temple with him again, as I always have. And he kneels down. He, he, he kneels down. He holds on to me. And I help him get up. And so I'm going to have to kneel down there too. And I don't want the Lord God to get the wrong impression. <laughs> I'm just doing my job. I'm not worshiping that idol. And so he's asking Elijah, will that be okay? May the Lord pardon me for just doing my job, not worshiping that thing, not bowing down before that thing. I'm just bowing to help my master get up. Will that be okay? It's a good question. Again, he's thought this through very quickly. From the time he's gotten from the Jordan River to Elijah's home, he's been thinking all this stuff. And that's how it should be. When we're immersed in the Lord, it should change our lives, change how we live, change what we do. It should impact everything. And Elijah said, go in peace. Good plan. <laughs> do your job, but stay faithful to the Lord. It's a good plan. Go in peace. You'll be blessed. The Lord understands. The Lord knows. Right? And so he sends him off. That would be great if the story ended there. So he departed, Naaman departed from him a short distance, and Gehazi, the servant of Elijah, the man of God, said, Look, my master has spared Naaman, the Syrian, while not receiving from his hand what he brought. But as the Lord lives... I will run after him and take something from him. Interesting. Gehazi, Gehazi, the servant that Elijah sent out to Naaman to tell him to go 
and washing the Jordan River to dunk himself, immerse seven times. That same Elijah, the same Gehazi. The same Gehazi that saw a child be miraculously born. Same Gehazi that saw that same child when that child died be resurrected from the dead. Same Gehazi that saw other miracles take place from the power of God. He says, look, my master spared this Naaman. He's going to go and get some money from him. Why do you think he's doing that? What's his motives? Well, there's one word there that I think reveals a little bit. Two words. It says, look, my master has spared Naaman this Syrian. There could be some prejudice. There could be some anger. There could be some revenge there on his part. Again, the Syrians were now, uh, in a sense, uh, constantly warring against and many times winning and taking our people captive and decimating cities and, 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 and stealing and demanding tribute. And he's thinking, here the Syrian came and here Elijah and God did this favor to him and we're not even receiving anything from him. Well, as the Lord lives, in behalf of God, Elijah made a mistake here. We need to get something back from these Syrians. How dare he let him go without paying something? Right? Not, we can understand those kind of feelings. We can understand those kind of emotions under those type of circumstances. How dare he let him get away with this? He's getting old. He doesn't know what he's thinking. As the Lord lives, I'm going to make it right. I'm going to do the right thing. Maybe that's what he's thinking. Or at least that's what the devil has got him thinking. That he's doing this in the Lord's behalf. He's doing this for God. He's justifying it in his mind. He's angry at Naaman, he's angry at the Syrian, he's angry at God for healing this Syrian. <laughs> How dare he do that? Now he's angry at Elijah? How dare he not even take anything from him? Times are tough here, and here he's letting the Syrian go. But as the Lord lives, I'm going to run after him, I'm going to take something from him. From him. Not only I'm going to take something for God, I'm going to, I am going to take from him. So how's Gehazi's picture of God? His picture of God is one who takes. A taker God, not a giving God. When we get a picture of God, the picture that we have of God affects how we live. Because the picture we get of God is how we live out our lives what we do. What we believe about him is how the character we take on. By beholding, we become changed into his image. When Adam and Eve believed that God was a giving God and gave them everything, they were happy and content. When the devil got Eve to believe that God was withholding, taking something from them, something that was good, God knows that if you ate from that tree, you would become like him, knowing good and evil. And he doesn't want you to have that. He's withholding something good from you. He's a taker. He's not unselfish. He's selfish. And when she believed that lie, she took for herself. So if we believe that God is a, a taker God, a demanding God, 
a harsh God that, that unfairly and unruly for selfish reasons demands things of us, then that's how we'll be with other people. And that's how we'll live out our lives. But if we have the picture of God, that he's a loving God, he's continually giving, he's merciful, and he's loving and, and forgiving and, and uh, blessing and cares only for us, then that's how we will be towards others. We will take on his nature as his spirit comes and lives in us and manifests itself out of us. If we understand him in his true light, then we will have a balanced picture. Not only a balanced picture in our minds, but our life will be lived out that way too. Naaman's starting to get that picture. This God, he's the only true God, and no doubt he has a right to be a jealous God. Since he is the real ruler of the universe, and the only one, he's not going to be happy if I am bowing down to some other idol. And so he asks if God will understand what he's doing, that he's not really bowing down to that idol. So he understands. This is a mighty God that he's not to be fooled with. He's getting the right picture. Gehazi doesn't. Gehazi thinks God's selfish. And so he's selfish. Gehazi pursued Naaman, and when Naaman saw him running after him, Naaman got down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? Gehazi said, All is well. My master sent me, saying, Just now two young men of the sons of the prophets have come to me. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of garments. So again, we see Naaman, very humble man for his position. Here this servant is running after him, and instead of staying in his chariot and talking down to the servant, he gets out of his chariot and he goes to meet Gehazi and talks to him on, the, on his level. He's all well. And Gehazi tells him this story. Now it's interesting, he says, two young men, sons of the prophets, have come to me. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of garments. Two men, two changes of garments, but only one talent of silver. Naaman said, please take two talents. He urged him and bound two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of garments and handed them to, the, to two of his servants who carried them on ahead of Gehazi. So I don't know if Gehazi was thinking, well, I'll tell him it's two men, we need two clothing, we only want one uh, talent, hoping he'll give us two talents. He might have thought that through, but that's how it worked out. I'm just asking for a little, and, and then he gets what he really wanted. Could be, or maybe that was just how it was, but uh, kind of interesting there. Now, he's asking for one talent. Naaman gives him two talents of silver. How many talents is a trick, not a trick question, a memory question. We read it last time we looked at this chapter. How many talents of silver did Naaman bring with him when he came to Israel. Not seven, ten. He brought ten talents of silver and six thousand shekels of gold. Ten, thousand, ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold. Now, one talent is equal to three thousand shekels. So I don't know why it's written that way, but that's how it's written in the Bible. Ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold. Because really, it could say 10 talents of silver and two talents of gold. That'd be the same thing, right? You're good enough on the math to figure that out, right? 3,000 is one talent, right? So it's really just two talents of gold. I shouldn't say just. Two talents of gold. Or it could be written 30 
30,000 shekels of silver and 6,000 shekels of gold, right? That would still be the same thing, right? But for whatever reason, it did the silver in talents and the shekels in gold. I don't know why. Okay, so what does that mean? One silver shekel in today's money, for what a shekel was worth then, in today's inflation like that, would be worth $6. One talent of silver today, talent of silver, again, 3,000 shekels, so uh, 3,000 times 6, comes to about $20,000. One talent of silver. And it equals 70 pounds. That's why he gave a talent of silver to one of his servants and another talent to another servant with a change of garments and had him go with Gehazi. 70 pounds of silver, huh? Not bad. $20,000 worth right there. Right? And the two talents of gold that he brought with him would be worth $2 million. So he came for his healing. He brought $2 million and... $200,000, right? <laughs> so again, we see what this guy is positioned, right? He's commander of the army. He's got a lot of wealth, or the king gave him some wealth, whatever. He's got means, and he's got power, and here he is bowing in the Jordan River, bowing before God, acknowledging God, speaking to Elijah this way, getting out of his chariot, telling Elijah he's his servant, and uh, getting out of his chariot and talking to, to Gehazi. This man's being transformed. Obviously, he's in a position to be very puffed up and everything. But God is working in his life. God has been working in his life. The humility to listen to a, a slave girl. We conquered their God. We defeated them. She's my servant. I'm going to listen to her. But he did. That was a heart that God knew that he could use. God was softening, and Naaman was responsive to that softening. And so Gehazi asked for $20,000, and he ends up getting $40,000 worth of silver. And when he came to the citadel, he took them and stored them, the, the, the two talents of silver, and stored them in the house and the two garments, and he let the men go, and they departed. He's got these two bags, 70 pounds each, in the house, two nice garments, $40,000. Not bad for a day's work, huh? I mean, he asked for a lot. He could have just asked for a little. He could have just asked for a few, you know, shekels of silver. But he asked for a whole talent. Even at best, if that's for the school of the prophets, that would have been $10,000 worth each. And one change of garment? Each. So we see he's selfish as well, and greedy as well. He didn't just ask for a little bit, but he asked for a lot. So the men depart, and Naaman goes with them. We'll hear more about Naaman when we get to heaven. The rest of the story of Naaman when we get to heaven. Yeshua mentions Naaman, gives praise to him and his faith. And so Gehazi went in and stood before his master Elijah. 
And Elijah said, where did you go, Gehazi? And, his, and he said, your servant did not go anywhere. Now, if he somehow had justified in his mind that he was doing this on behalf of the Lord, right? As the Lord lives, I'm going to go to that Syrian and I'm going to take uh, something from him. If he was right in doing it, the devil had convinced him he was right in doing it, no doubt he believed at one point that this was the right thing to do, right thing for God, right thing for me, right thing for Elijah, right thing for the children of Israel. Maybe he was thinking, I'm going to take this 20,000, then he got the extra talent, I'm going to take this 40,000, I'm going to share it with all the schools of the prophets and, and these kids, but somewhere along the line, he decides he's going to keep it for himself. And he lies to Elijah. Lied to Naaman, but he was, you know, this Syrian. And now he's lying to Elisha. And Elijah said, did not my heart go with you when the man turned back from his chariot to meet you? God showed Elisha the whole scene, the whole thing taking place, the whole conversation. Oh, his heart must have broken when he saw that. God sees it all, doesn't he? God sees our hearts. God sees our actions. God sees our motives. It's so easy for us sometimes to think, you know, I've been working at this job, and they haven't given me a raise, and, and, a raise and this CEO, he's getting, you know, millions of dollars a year. You know, we're both working 40 hours. I mean, he's not working any harder than me. And actually, I'm working a lot harder than him. I see him driving around and flying around in his jets and stuff like that and taking vacations every other week and here I'm slaving here and hardly get any. Certainly justified for me to take this tool home. They got plenty of them anyway. Certainly justified in me taking some time and, and uh, sending some emails or checking my Facebook. Certainly justified as the Lord lives. I have every right call in sick even when I'm not sick because they don't give me enough vacation time. It's easy for us to justify it in our minds, isn't it? Getting our rights. Demanding our rights. God sees. God knows. God sees our actions. God sees our thoughts. God sees our motives. Even if our motives are right, but our actions are wrong, it's still wrong in God's sight. And he sees it all, and in the judgment, it's all going to be laid before us. And we'll be judged by it. We can't hide from God. Gehazi couldn't hide from Elijah. We shouldn't think we can hide from God. Might be able to hide it from your boss. Might be able to hide it from your spouse. Might be able to hide it from the rabbi. Might be able to hide it from your friends and people in the congregation. But there's nothing we can hide from God. We can try and hide it from ourselves. We can lie to ourselves all night long. Tell ourselves over and over and over again. Try and justify it. Try and convince ourselves. But greediness, selfishness, lying, 
is still wrong, no matter what. It's not in the character of God. And when we get those thoughts, they come from Satan. And when we act upon those thoughts, it is sin. When we dwell on those thoughts, it is sin. We need to confess it, accept the Messiah's sacrifice for it, accept him taking it away, nailing it upon himself, burying it in the tomb, and allow him to give us his character and his mind. Those thoughts, Gehazi's thoughts are natural thoughts. Gehazi's thoughts are normal thoughts. That's how we're born. We're born takers. We're born selfish. We're born greedy. We're born, born wanting more than we need. That's normal. But normal is not good. Normal is not holy. Normal got us kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And normal will not get us into heaven. That's why we need to be born anew. That's why we need to be changed. That's why the Messiah came. To change us. To forgive us to cleanse us. That's why Naaman had to go down in the water. The old nature washed away and a new nature came out. And that's what God needs to do in every one of us. Continually, all the time. And when we hear Satan whispering those lies in our minds, that person doesn't deserve it anyway. They cheat other people anyway. I'm just being a Robin Hood. Just settling the score just making it right. We need God's wisdom and God's discernment. We need to follow God humbly and serve him. Elijah said, Is it time to receive money and clothing, olive groves and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male and female servants? I wonder why he gives this list. Maybe that's what Gehazi was thinking as he's coming home with $40,000. <laughs> I'm going to buy me a, uh, some nice clothing. I'm going to buy me an olive grove. I'm going to buy me a vineyard. I'm going to get some sheep. I'm going to get some oxes. I'm not going to be a servant anymore. I'm going to have servants. Again, God knows it. God sees it. Is now the time to do that? Is it wrong to have these things? Is it wrong to have clothing? I hope not. Right? <laughs> hope everyone brought some with you tonight, right? Is it wrong to have some land? Is it wrong to have some trees? Is it wrong to have a, an income and have a business, a farm, or whatever to earn a living with? Is it wrong to have, go to a restaurant and have people serve us? No. So why does Elijah say this? Well, there's a time and a place. And there's a way and a manner. And Gehazi is going at it in the wrong manner. And under these circumstances with Naaman, it was totally wrong. And I don't necessarily know if I get it right all the time, but for example, just this week, a couple things uh, that kind of fall into this. Uh, Barbara went to, uh, to Staples to get some printing done, and they messed up the printing. And so they reprinted it, and they gave it to us for free. $5, $6, it wasn't a lot. You know? But that was a nice thing and a good thing, and, and they volunteered it, and so Barbara walked away with the paper free. Right? Good deal. That same day, I was at another place in Newport Ritchie, and uh, we rented a tool, and uh, the tool wasn't exactly right, but it did the job, and so I went back, 
and I explained to the guy. And, uh, and so I asked him what would the price be for what he ended up giving me instead of what I actually paid for. And he didn't actually uh, have the thing that, whatever, it didn't, you know, he didn't have it. And so, uh, and so, uh, so I said, well, what would have been the price? Because they used to have that thing. And, uh, and he said, well, uh, I'll give it to you for free. I won't charge you. And so I wrote up the new ticket. And so I walked out. But, uh, but then driving home, I just was thinking, you know, he didn't want to give that to me for free. He wasn't happy about it. It wasn't, you know, he didn't really see it was wrong. You know, he felt like I was pushing it upon him. And, uh, and so I went back and I, I gave it back to him and I said, well, you know, the product worked and, and uh, you know, I didn't want, I wasn't expecting it for free. I was just asking for what would the price be for, you know, if I had the right size instead of the bigger size. And, uh, and, uh, and he said, you know, well, if you want to pay for it, that's fine. I'll let you pay for it. And so we let him pay for it. You know, again, it was on the synagogue's card and everything like that. And so, you know, I didn't want God's name to be discredited. For him to think that God or, or we were trying to rip him off. If he's not happy about it, then, then you know, I didn't want it. There's another situation that we're going through uh, where there's this other company that didn't do something right, and we are demanding that they make it right and pay up right. <laughs> it's a whole different situation. And they're not willing to and don't want to, and we're kind of in a little battle there, and it's not over yet. Um, but there's a time and a place, you know? And uh, so again, I don't necessarily know if I get it all right all the time. But no doubt, Elijah received money from somebody at some times, right? He didn't always have ravens feeding him, right? They got food somewhere. They got clothing somewhere. So they were receiving donations or something somehow, right? He went to that one lady's house and, you know, God provided the oil and, and he ate the food that she provided and even went there and asked. I guess that was Elijah, right? But nonetheless, they, uh, you know, trained under him. Uh, Elijah said, give me, make the bread for me first and, and bring me some water first. So it's not always wrong, but under this circumstances, Elijah said no, and Ge Gehazi should have followed along with that and understood that. So in those kind of, we need the discernment of God and the wisdom of God. Our motives have to be right, and our actions have to be right. And Gehazi's motives for having these things was not right. And God called Gehazi to be Elijah's servant. And he should have been content with that position in life and not coveting some other position as some farmer or something else. And we need to know individually and personally what God's calling upon our life is. And for some of us, it's being a farmer. For some of us, it's being a banker. For other of us, it's being a plumber or a maid or a nurse or a doctor or whatever it is, or a minister. Whatever it is, we need to know individually and be content and doing what God has called us to do. But for Elijah and Gehazi, it is not time to receive money and clothing and olive groves and vineyards and sheep and oxen and male and female servants. And in a sense, even for us today, living especially in these last days, we should not be living for ourselves. So even if we have houses and cars and clothing and things, it's not for us. It's so that it can be used for God's honor and glory. It should be furthering the gospel in some way, shape, of a home, some way, shape, or form. That if we have a car, that we have means, or that we have a home, that we can use it still for God's glory. Maybe having people over, maybe ministering to people, maybe sharing a ride with someone, or, or helping out in some way, shape, form. Serving God 
and serving one another. Again, God's character is a character of love, a character that gives. A character that forgives, is merciful, heals, and is all-powerful. And when we have him in our lives, that's how we will live too. So Elijah then says, Therefore the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. Woo! And you may be thinking, wait a second, Rabbi, you just said God is loving and merciful and kind and forgiving and giving, and he gave this guy leprosy? What kind of giving God is that? What kind of loving God is that? And no doubt a lot of people would want to leave this portion of this, the, the message off. The same God who is loving, why does he do this to Gehazi? Why does he allow the leprosy that's on Naaman to now go on to Gehazi? Why? He's a just God. He's punishing him. Lesson for us, right? Say it. He loves us, right? He loves us. That's why he did it. And he loves who? Everyone. Who? He loves Gehazi. He loves Gehazi. Right? He didn't kill him, right? He loves Gehazi. And he wants Gehazi to learn the lesson. And to remember this experience for the rest of his life. And for his children to remember this experience for the rest of their lives. He loves Gehazi. He wants Gehazi in heaven. And he knows that Gehazi needs to be woken up. And it's this selfishness and this greed that is eating his skin away, that's eating his flesh away, that's eating his soul away. And he needs to know that it's destroying him and that he needs to be set free, just as Naaman was set free. Now, this is in chapter 5. And if you remember, we read chapter 8 already when uh, one of the kings of Israel, doesn't tell us which one, calls Gehazi in and asks Gehazi to tell him about Elisha. Did Elisha really do these miracles? Tell me about the miracles that Elijah did. And Gehazi starts telling him, well, there was this one boy that was miraculously born, and he dies, and Elijah comes and prays, and, and the kid comes back to life. And just then, the kid and his mother come back from Egypt, where they had been for a number of years because of the, the, the drought, and He's like, and there's the woman, and there's her son right there. Now that's chapter 8. Now if these chapters were written chronologically, then that means Gehazi was telling that story to the king after this experience. Now, would the king call a leper in to speak to him? Well, maybe if he kept maybe a proper distance or something like that. Maybe he really needed to know, really wanted to know, wanted to know someone who got fired from <laughs> Elijah certainly didn't want necessarily someone who's going to just tell him, you know, nice things about Elijah. He wants to hear the real story, so he goes to, you know, someone who maybe would have a reason to be disgruntled, whatever. So it is possible, again, chronologically, chapter 8 from chapter 5, and the other story, I think, is in chapter 4. So it could be. And if so, then maybe Gehazi learned his lesson. And instead of being angry at Elijah, and angry at God, when the king calls him in, instead of saying, no, I don't want to talk about it, or lying, or whatever, he tells the truth. 
it seems like he learned his lesson. And that's why God allowed him to get the leprosy. And it's worth it. It's worth it. See, everything God does is because he loves us. Everything he allows to come into our lives is because he loves us. And he loves Gehazi. And he loves Naaman. And he loves the little girl who got taken to Naaman. And he loves Elijah. And he loves the king. And he loves the king of Syria. And he loves you. And he loves me. But that doesn't mean he's just all lovey-dovey and fluffy balls and happy thoughts all the time. There is judgment. There is accountability. And there is ways that he uses to get our attention. Consequences, too. And sometimes he gets our attention with blessings. And if that doesn't work, after seeing all these miracles, he still didn't get Gehazi's attention, then he'll have to try leprosy or maybe something else. There are consequences. There is judgment. And we have to have that picture of God in our mind as well. Not the dual God, but he's the same God. This God who's loving and giving, but is balanced will not be mocked, will not be mistreated, will not allow sin to continue on, will not allow us to hurt ourselves continually, will not allow sin to continue throughout eternity. But a God who does enact judgment and will eventually end the sins of this world and bring in everlasting life, righteousness, will get rid of all of those who refuse his love and want to just enact harm and, and those that choose to be greedy and choose to be selfish and choose to just take. They cannot be in his kingdom. They'll just destroy it. And out of his love for those who will be in his kingdom, he cannot allow them to be there. It's still the same God. And we have to have that right aspect and picture of God as well. The balanced picture of God. Love and justice. Mercy and judgment. Grace and truth. Blended together perfectly and continually in the heart of God. We see it in the sanctuary. We see it in the Ark of the Covenant. We see it in the Messiah. We see it in his death. We see it in his resurrection. If he could just overlook sin, he wouldn't have had to die. But he took the punishment. For you and me. Out of love for us. And so Gehazi went out from his presence, leprosy, leprous, as white as snow. But again, by God's grace, hopefully he repented and was saved. Had his sins forgiven. Had his heart transformed. And so for us as well, the sins in our lives, the things in our lives that are eating away our flesh, that are destroying our souls, that destroy us from within, God wants to set us free. He wants to set us free from the greed. He wants to set us free from stealing. He wants to set us free from lying. He wants to set us free from selfishness. He wants to set us free from anger. He wants to set us free from prejudice. He wants to set us free from uh, retaliation. He wants to cleanse our hearts and minds. And he wants to give us and fill us with love and mercy and justice and judgment and balance goodness and kindness and a concern for other people and a love for him. So as we pray tonight, 
Hopefully God's speaking to you from some aspect of this story. Maybe, maybe you're like Naaman and, and God is calling you and maybe God has done some miraculous things in your life or even just given you life. Maybe he gave you breath this morning. Maybe he gave you some food today. Maybe he brought you here. And you need to thank him. And to give praise to God. Maybe you need to work out your situation at work or in your life or in your home so that it's in harmony with God. That God takes every aspect of your life that affects everything you do and everything you think. And you're learning from Naaman here to bring God into your workplace. Maybe like Elisha, there's a time in your life now where it's not time for receiving, but time for freely giving. I don't know. Or maybe like Gehazi. Maybe you're like Gehazi in this story. God wants to cleanse you and free you and set you free. As we pray together, whatever applies to you or maybe something else that God impressed you as we were reading and speaking together. Let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, ruler of the universe, Lord, we are thankful for your love. We're thankful, Lord, for the blessings that you've given to us. We're thankful for the reproof as well. We're thankful that your word is balanced. And we're thankful, Lord, that we see your balanced life lived out in this story and in the life of the Messiah. We're thankful, Yeshua, for coming to this earth to cleanse us from our carnal nature. Lord, wash us clean and set us free from our normalness that is in rebellion against you and, and is just filled with self and selfishness. Lord, take that and bury it away down in the bottom of the Jordan River. Bury it away in the, in the tomb. And fill us with your mind. Fill us with your life. That we give you honor and glory and praise, not only with our lips, but with our actions. And in everything we do, may you be seen and glorified. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.